So this past week, I had the privilege of meeting with each of those four uh, folks, young people for the most part, that were baptized this morning. Uh, we talked about the meaning of baptism. We talked about the physical logistics of being baptized here, using this place for the first time. But the main thing we talked about was belief. Belief. Because baptism, as we've said, is an outward sign of the inner belief we have in Jesus Christ. Baptism follows belief. And so my responsibility as the baptizer uh, was to make sure the baptizee truly believed in Jesus. And as you heard their testimonies and their responses, you saw that they, they do. But when it comes to belief, uh, there's often a problem. We talked about this last week, if you were with us. The problem is, when, you, when we say we believe, when we say we believe in something, when we say we believe in someone, we mean we believe oftentimes, in certain facts about that person, that thing. For example, I believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. I believe he led the nation during the time of the Civil War. I believe he said and and did some good things. And I believe that on April 4th, 14th, 1865, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. I believe those facts and, and others about Abraham Lincoln. But in reality, believing those facts about President Lincoln does not really impact my life. And sometimes we think that's what it means to believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was the Son of God who came to earth. I believe Jesus taught some amazing things, did some miracles even. I believe we should try our best to follow Him. I believe Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. I even believe he rose from the dead. We believe these things about Jesus, but that's not all. It's part of, but it's not all of what it means to believe, to believe in Jesus. When the Bible talks about believing, it means, uh, and even the word, the Greek word, it means to trust in, to put your faith in, and, and to be committed to. And that's what these four people said to us outwardly, had happened to them inwardly. They said it outwardly through baptism. We believe, we trust in, we put our faith in, we're committed to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's the one who died in our place for the forgiveness, for the cleansing of our sins. He's the one who rose from the dead to give us new life. He gives us uh, this gift of eternal new life. And we're going to live for Him. Really, in many ways, baptism, your faith, belief means I'm living for Jesus. Now, now that kind of we'll live for Jesus belief will, by definition, have an impact on your life. And so today, as, as we again come to John's Gospel, I want us to see what that impact, at least in part, uh, looks like. I want us to see a picture of it. Jesus, I believe, paints a picture of what it is. Does anyone know what the main purpose of John's gospel is? Why did he write the book? Anyone? So we might believe. Anybody know what else? Say that again. And be saved, believe, be saved, and have life in his name, eternal life. Great. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes specifically 
to do what uh, Jonathan was talking about. Coincidence, you make the call, John, Jonathan, uh, was talked about this morning about being drawn to Jesus. That's why he's writing that, that his audience, that his readers, that we might believe in Jesus. And by believing, we might have life in his name. Did I do the verse? Okay. That's the, per- sorry, I skipped that. I'm a little pressed for time here, so I'm going to have to slow down. Uh, he writes, the end of the book, near the end of the book, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now the belief that John is talking about, the belief that the Bible speaks of, the belief that the Bible endorses, is transforming belief. Belief that results in life in Jesus' name. And that includes what we look forward to, eternal heavenly life. But it also includes a new transformed life right here and now. Life in His name, life lived in His power, life under His authority, lived for His purposes. That's why John writes his gospel. That his readers, that we might believe and have life in the name of Jesus Christ. And just to be very clear, true belief in Jesus results in is followed by having life in his name. These aren't two separate options. Oh, I'll believe, but not have life in his name. They go together, just like you can't be baptized. The word baptism means to be uh, put under, immersed. You can't be immersed in water and not get wet. They go together. You can't believe and and not have a transformed life in his name. It's a package deal. And so the question is, what does that life look like? What does a transformed new life, believing in Jesus Christ, look like? John says, I wrote this book so that you may believe, trust in, put your faith in, be committed to to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and, and believing you may have life in his name. And I believe one of the ways that John does this is that he picked out uh, these seven uh, I am statements of Jesus. Throughout the book of John, if you're familiar with John's writings, if you're familiar with Jesus, you know these seven I am statements. Seven times in his gospel, John records Jesus saying, I am, followed by a statement, a picture, often a picture. And these pictures help us see what it means to believe, what it means to have new life in Jesus' name. It helps us see, Jesus is saying, I am this. It helps us see who Jesus is. And then it, in that statement, he, there's always this response, implied or stated, of what you need to do with that. Because I am this, you need to do this, that. Now last week we looked at the first statement. I kind of wish we were doing all said. We're not. I'm only doing these first two. I'm going to leave you guys to do the other five sort of on your own. Last week we did the first statement. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We talked about it last week. Believing in Jesus, having life in his name, means feasting on him uh, as our true satisfaction. He's the one we go to to fulfill our spiritual hungers, our spiritual thirsts. Second, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, Jesus says, but will have the light of life. We're going to look at this statement today. But it's clear that believing means following Jesus out of the darkness 
and into the light and receiving this light of life. Again, this life. There's this light and this life that he talks about. Third, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go into and out and find pasture. Believing means that you must go through Jesus to be saved. He's the door. And when you go through Jesus, we find pasture, new life. I'm the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Believing, receiving life means that you look to Jesus as the one who cares for you, your shepherd. You trust in his death on the cross, that he laid down his life to provide you with salvation. Fifth, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You get two there, resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John, that's John eleven twenty five. 25. Believing means looking to Jesus to provide for your resurrection to come, you're going to die. We're all going to die. But Jesus is the resurrection. He brings us back from death and provides us with new life in his name. Six, three, you get three here. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believing and receiving new life means we look to Jesus to provide the only way, the only path, the only, only way to get to the Father. We look to Jesus to show us the truth of all things, specifically the truth about how to get to the Father. And we look to Jesus to provide our eternal life, eternal life in the presence of, of the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And finally, seventh, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Believing, receiving life in his name means abiding, dwelling, living, committing yourself to Jesus, allowing him to work in and through your life that it might be shine forth, that it might bear fruit in this world. So those are the seven I am statements of Jesus recorded by John in his gospel, all of which, I believe, help us understand more about what it means to believe in Jesus. When we say we believe in Jesus, we better know who he is. If I'm believing in Jesus, I'm believing all of these seven things about Jesus. And that impacts my life. And I'd encourage you, like I said, you know, we looked at the first one last week, the second one this week. We're gonna, I'd encourage you to maybe, as you read through the Gospel of John in coming weeks, as we're going through the, the, the New Testament, I would encourage you to stop at those statements and consider them. What does this mean for me? to believe this about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning with the second say. I'm going to sort of maybe provide a little pattern for you so you can maybe do it with the others. Jesus' second statement, Jesus makes this claim, this amazing claim. He says, I am the light. I am the light. Okay. That's pretty big. Now, before we get to Jesus' claim, we need in, in eight chapter 8, verse 12. We're in John chapter 8. I didn't probably say that. You have a Bible. John chapter 8. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light. But we need to get the context. The context is found a few verses down in verse 20 of John chapter 8. We read these words, so it's talking about the words he's just said, including verse 12, where he says, I am the light. He spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is about six months before the the crucifixion. And so they wanted to arrest him. If you read the rest of the passage, the Pharisees get really ticked off uh, that Jesus says, I am the light. We're not going to focus on that this morning. You can read it. But the, the point is, he, they, they couldn't arrest him. It doesn't explain why, but it wasn't his time. God had sovereignly intervened. 
uh, Jesus was able to walk away. So Jesus was teaching in the temple in the treasury. This is the area where the people gave their financial offerings. You know the story of the widow with her two mites? This is where it took place. The treasury wasn't a building. It, it, it was 13 in this court. It was 13 like trumpet-shaped receptacles. And each of the 13 had different monies you put in them. Depend, they, they had different things. We won't go into it, but there was 13. And they were in what was called the court of the women. And the court of the women was not just a place for only women. That would be cool. The, the, the treasuries in the court of the women, only women could give. The men didn't have to give. No, just kidding. Uh, that what that meant was it was the last place in the temple where women could go. They couldn't go any further in. Outside was the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. And then inside would be the court of the men or where, where men could go. So everybody could go to the court of the women, all the Jews, that is. And so this was a, a busy public location, ideal for Jesus' teaching. And it's in this setting that Jesus makes this incredible statement about himself. Jesus, speaking to the people in the temple uh, treasury, says, I am the light of the world. Wow, that's pretty heady. I mean, that's big. I am the light. Because, because this is big in the, in the Old Testament. God is identified with light. In the Old Testament, the, the coming Messiah is identified with light. And now if you're reading this, if you're just going through the Gospel of John and you're reading it, you come to this statement and you might wonder, well, why did Jesus choose this moment to say, I am the light of the world? It seems just to come out of the blue. Remember last week, uh, he said, I am the bread of life. But he was talking to a crowd of people after he had fed the 5,000 and they were following him because they wanted more food. And that's what Jesus often did. He, he uses a physical situation You want bread? You want some bread for me? To illustrate a a spiritual truth, I'm the bread of life. Now, it's not clear from the text, but the same thing is happening here. If you look back at John chapter 7, verse 2, it tells us, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. The feast of booths, or in some translations, the feast of tabernacles, that's like the tent, a, a dwelling place, is a seven-day celebration of God's provision for his people during their wilderness wandering. So it's reflecting back to the Exodus, to their time in the, in, the, in the desert, 40 years in the desert, where they lived in booths, tents, tabernacles. Jews from all parts of the nations were required, all part of the nation were required to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So there's lots of people around. So Jesus is teaching in the temple during the Feast of Booths. And each night, this is the key part, think back to uh, when you've read Exodus, maybe you've seen the movie, the Ten Commandments, it's there. Think back. Each night uh, during the seven-day feast, there was a lamp-lighting ceremony. Okay, so there was a lot of light, more than uh, normal. In his commentary on this passage, uh, John MacArthur writes, In the very court of women where Jesus was speaking, Four huge candelabra were lit, pushing light up into the night sky like a searchlight. So brilliant was their light that no, that one ancient Jewish source declared there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect their light. So this is going on. These candelabra served as a reminder, think back to the, the Exodus story, of the pillar of fire by which God had guided Israel in the wilderness. What was the purpose of the pillar of fire? 
Exodus uh, 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. By day, there was a pillar of cloud. By night, a pillar of fire. And the purpose of both pillars is to lead them along the way. The pillar of fire also served to give them light, to lead them at night, to lead them when it was dark. So again, Jesus is taking some physical and familiar and making a spiritual point about him, about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. The pillar of fire was the light that guided Israel in their journey in the wilderness In the darkness, it served to dispel the darkness, to lead God's people by the light of His presence. Light in the Old Testament, as I said, is a picture of God's presence. It's a picture of the coming Messiah. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, make no mistake, they know what He's talking about. He's equating Himself back. I mean, the candelabras representing the uh, pillar of fire right there. He's representing himself with the, the pillar of fire, with God's presence, with God's guidance among his people. He's saying, I'm a beacon of God's presence and guidance for the whole world. So that's Jesus' claim. He's the light of the world. And he follows his claim with a call. This means something. Because he's the light of the world, this means something to those that believe in him. Like the children of Israel, who had to follow the pillar to receive its benefits, Jesus calls us to follow the light. Last week, Jesus said, believing in me uh, means believing I'm the bread of life, coming to me, feasting on me, finding your satisfaction in me. This week, he says, believing in me means believing I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Believing means feasting, and believing means following. Letting Jesus' light guide you out of the darkness into the light of life. Life in his name. That's what he says, the purpose of the book. I'm writing that you might have life in my name, in in Jesus' name. And Jesus provides that life. He's the light of life. Jesus is the light. And as such, to experience life in his name, to experience life in the name of Jesus Christ, he must be followed. Think of a lighthouse. We sang about a lighthouse. It serves as a, as a navigational aid, as a landmark, as a warning to, to boats of dangerous things in the area. But if a lighthouse is ignored by a ship's captain, a disaster can result. For a lighthouse to, positive, to, to be of a benefit, to positively impact the life of the ship or the crew, it must be regarded. It must be followed. You have to do what the lighthouse is directing you. And the same is true of Jesus. Jesus, through his word, through his presence in your life, through his spirit, provides us with light, with direction, with guidance. Following him is the only way to not walk in the darkness. And darkness is is representative of sin, of of separation from God. Darkness, uh, I checked with my scientific staff, and they, darkness is not really a thing. Did you know that? Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is nothing. Darkness is nothing. And so when, but when there's no light, there's darkness. True belief in Jesus means that he is our light. 
And we willingly follow him out of the darkness. To quote uh, Debbie Boone, he's the light of my life. Okay, that's really old. Sorry. Anybody? You, you light of my Okay. Remember last week we talked about overcoming sin by feasting on Jesus, right? By filling our stomachs with Jesus, filling our lives with Jesus, spending time with Jesus. And, and then the things of this world just aren't as tasty. So there's no room to fill ourselves with sin when we're full of Jesus. Well, in the same way, we overcome sin by following Jesus. By going to, to by obeying His Word. By going to Him in prayer. By spending time with Jesus. Receiving His glorious guidance. Listening to it. Obeying it. Jesus lived a sinless, darkness, uh, dark-free life. He's the light, and therefore, if we follow him, we too will be in the light. We'll avoid the darkness, we'll avoid the sin that so easily besets us. Jesus is the ultimate guide for this life. He keeps us on the the correct, the right path. He leads us not into temptation, but he delivers us from evil. When we follow Jesus through this life, He's not just ahead of us, and we're not just struggling to catch up to Him. He's a light that surrounds us, and He keeps us from going off the path. He's like, like this buffer. I don't, know this, I don't know if you've ever went bowling when you had the little ramp things up where you couldn't throw a gutter ball. That's great, isn't it? No gutter balls with Jesus. He's that, that buffer. When you're following Him, As long as we stay in the light, we won't stray to the right or to the left. We'll avoid the pitfalls of temptation, the dark places found in this life. Following Jesus, the light, means we will not succumb to the darkness of sin. That's the key. Pastor, I'm struggling with the sin in my life. Well, how much time are you spending with Jesus? How much of his light are you allowing into your life? Well, it's really hard. I don't have time. We have time to... Do the sin. Do you have time to spend with Jesus? Now, we should also point out that the opposite is true as well. When we're not following Jesus, the light of the world, when we're seeking our own desires, our own purposes, outside of his will, outside of his word, then we're, by, we're living in darkness. Sin can't be avoided. It's just what we do. Without the light, we have no power to overcome the sin In this world, we are just stumbling about, inviting sin to enter into our lives. Several weeks ago, ago, I was uh, in my living room downstairs watching TV late at night, about 9.30. That's pretty late for me. I'm getting really tired. Yawning. Christina, my wife, had already gone to bed. Her bedtime's about 8. So uh, it was time for me to join her. So I turned off the TV. Uh, Now... At that time, the TV was the only source of light in my house. So when I turned it off, it it just was dark. It was one of those dark nights, even. I then stumbled over to the back door to let the dogs in. For some reason, we let our dogs sleep in our house. It's like weird, but I don't know. Now, it was dark in the backyard, so I couldn't even see the dogs very well. I just heard them as they came in the house. And the breathing of one of the dogs sounded really strange. I can't do it really well. So I stumbled over. I go, what's going on here? And I turned on the, turned on the light. 
And lo and behold, my beautiful 95-pound lab, golden lab, what is it, yellow lab, whatever he is, named Piper, had a hideous, ugly, dead, at least to me, possum in his mouth, this big, giant possum, in the middle of my kitchen. It was quite startling. It was kind of like, whoa, is this really happening? (laughs) Because I was in the dark, I left this ugly, hideous possum into my house. All I needed to do to avoid the situation would have been to turn on the light. Oh, there's a light outside, there's light inside, but I'm just stumbling around, just letting the possum in. Now, fortunately, I was able to get the dog outside, back into the backyard, coaxed him to drop the possum, who I thought was dead, but was actually playing possum. Great. So the possum, I put the dogs back in, and the possum eventually escaped. Uh, Now, I hope you get the point of my hideous possum story. If we don't turn on the light, if we're not following Jesus, then we're living in darkness. Well, Well, all kinds of hideous, ugly things will creep into our lives. Hideous sins Pride and greed and anger and lust, all of those uh, negative things that we don't want. If we're living in the dark, they come in. But if we're following Jesus, the light of the world, then we'll not walk or stumble in the darkness. We, in the power of the light, will always be able to avoid these hideous, ugly sins, allowing them into our lives. So the key to not only avoiding darkness and sin, but to receiving the light of life. It's not just, okay, if you follow me, no sin. It's you follow me, no sin, and, and again, just let me say this. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about you won't let hideous possums into your life. You won't be, I mean, you're going to fall and stumble and pick yourself up, and if you're in Jesus' light, he'll pick you up. I'm talking about going down that path of darkness. You avoid the sin and you receive the light of life. Only way to do that, follow Jesus. David wrote in Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John begins his gospel speaking of Jesus saying, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Both the written word of God, David says, and Jesus, the revelation of God in human flesh, Both are lamps and lights, giving us guidance and direction, leading us out of sin and into the purposes, into the the pleasures of God, into this life of light, into his life in his name. So the question for each one of us this morning, I think, is clear. Are you, am I, following Jesus Christ? Is he the light of your life? Do you believe, trust in, not just some facts, trust in, are you committed to him? Are you committed to his ways, his will and his word? Are you going to him in prayer? Are you submitting to his guidance? Are you doing the things he wants you to do or conforming, or are you conforming to the culture around you? Is he the authority you look to in all your decisions? Is he the one you go to in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, and in times of joy as well? Is he the one you run to in times of fear and temptation? Are you following Jesus? 
Or are you following something else, your culture, your friends? Most often for us, it's ourself. We just choose to follow what we want to do. I've shared this story before, but it, it really makes the point, so I'll share it again. A young woman wanted to go to college, and, but, but when she read one of the questions on the applications, her, her heart sank. The question was, are you a leader? Being honest, she wrote, no. And she returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this college, this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that we have at least one follower. <laughs> Most of us, you know, she was, she, she, just the fact that her heart sank, she knew uh, I should be a leader. I need to be a leader. Most of us would rather be thought of as a leader than a follower. Oh, he's just a follower. There are literally thousands of books out there on how to be a leader. I'm not sure if there are any. There are probably some on being a follower. It's just not that popular. We sometimes view the, uh, the word follower, follower negatively. Being a good leader is important, I would agree. We need leaders. But according to Jesus, being a follower is essential to your eternal life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the Greek word for follows uh, has three sort of different but closely connected meanings. I think each meaning can add to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm just going to give these to you. To follow in the Greek, this Greek word here in uh, John 8, 12, refers to a soldier following his captain. The soldier must follow wherever the captain leads. And the Christian must follow wherever Jesus leads. It may be difficult. It may be dangerous. It may even result in death. I mean, Jesus might call us to go someplace where we... Yes. He's your your captain and you have to follow. It's our duty is to follow our captain, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in, in to Timothy, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, the things of this world since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, Jesus Christ. As a soldier of Christ, we are to focus not on our worldly pursuits, but in following and pleasing our captain, Jesus. So, soldier following the captain. Second, uh, follow refers to a slave following his master. The slave is always at the master's beck and call, ready to obey. The Christian is the slave whose joy it is to obey Christ. Paul writes, Uh, This truth to the church in Corinth, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body as slaves of Christ. And it's a good thing to be a slave of Christ. We are to seek his glory above all else. Third, to follow refers to that following of wise counsel. The Christian is guided in every aspect of of his or her life by the the wise counsel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes these words to the church in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word of Christ, the word of God, is our source of wisdom and guidance as we follow Christ. We're called to follow Christ like soldiers, like slaves follow. We're called to follow his wisdom and guidance. And what we need to understand is that Jesus does not call us to be what we so often are, 
and by we I mean we, me and, me and you, casual followers, casual followers. Following him means complete submission. God does not accept half-hearted followers of Christ. You cannot receive him as Savior, but not follow him as Lord, as captain, as master in your life. The person who comes to Jesus comes to Jesus on Jesus' terms. Jesus must be. It's not, I'm going to choose one of these seven I am's. He's all of those. He's your bread. He's your light. He's your door. He's your way and your truth and your life and your resurrection and your vine. And, and I'm missing one, but he's all of those things. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, follow me out of the darkness and receive the light of life. This isn't a casual offer. Hey, when you get time, when you're not busy, how about coming over to the light? It's a command, a demand for absolute allegiance, obedience, and submission. In Luke chapter 9, 23, 24, Jesus says, familiar verses, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Following the light, following Jesus is totally serious business. The stakes are very high. You can continue to follow yourself. You can continue to not deny yourself. You can continue to walk in darkness, letting that, uh, the hideous, ugly sins of this world into your life, which Jesus says will result in your life being lost forever. Or you can deny, or you can deny yourself. You can believe. You can follow Jesus, the light, resulting in salvation, receiving the light of life, life in His name living a transformed new life, this side of heaven, and an eternal life in His presence. That's the choice before us. Jesus always gives these choices. I'm I'm the light. Are you going to follow me or not? I'd encourage you to ask yourself uh, this question. Uh, In light of what we studied last week, I'm the bread of life. Feast on me. In light of what we studied this week, I'm the light of the world. Follow me. Do you believe in this Jesus? Are you truly following him as the light? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter where he leads? That's a great question. You know, if he comes to you and says, you know, if if you're, if you, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Just please don't send me to fill in the blank. Usually it's Africa. We say that. Some people want to go to Africa, so whatever it is for you. Am I willing to follow Jesus no matter where he leads? Am I seeking and submitting to his guidance on a daily basis? Is Jesus my captain, my master, my Lord? Do I go to him for guidance in all things? Is Jesus the light of my life? I'm going to pray, and I would ask you to pray with me. That each one of us at Bridges would be known, will be known as people who follow Jesus Christ no matter what. We follow Jesus, that He's our light. Would you join me in, in prayer? Father God, Lord, You've called us to, uh, to follow You. Lord, You've said You're the light. You, 
you uh, are pure and holy, Lord, and, and we're to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would seek after you. I pray we would seek you in your word. We would seek you in prayer. I pray that we would come to you for, for guidance. We would follow you as our captain, as our master, as our Lord. We would bow before you and worship you, for you deserve all honor and glory, Father. I pray we would be a people that see you as our, as our light and we follow after you. Lord, bring us out of the darkness and into your beautiful, wondrous light. In Christ's name, amen.